Welcome to the 24th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer, Katie, here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now on to the episode with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guest, Steve McConaughey. Nailed it. Nailed, Nailed it. it. Beautiful, man. Co-founder of Southern Fried Karma Press, along with his wife and two kids. Adult children, I assume? Yes. Yes. Adultish? No, Adultish. Very adult, yeah. Yeah? How old are they? Allison is 25 and Davis is 22. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're yeah, adults. But they're both, yeah. I guess in 2019, they're adultish. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's Steve. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Welcome. It's We're, great to be we here. We love Steve. We're partnering with Steve in a lot of ways. Uh, we'll get into that. And we have our lovely uh, producers, Katie Rainey. All of me. Plural. Co-founder of our little enterprise here. <laughs> this episode's brand of fuckery is brought to you by My Continuing Detox. I've currently got half my stack of supplements waiting on the kitchen floor with the other half waiting in some grange on 146th Street after you... USPS failed to deliver them into my domicile, and I spent 45 minutes on hold with the USPS. Thank you, Uncle Sam, federal government. Fuck you guys. I love you. God bless America. <laughs> yeah. Steve has saluted. I will salute we're all to saluting. the troops. I love it. That's not sarcastic. Yeah. So we're talking L-tyrosine. We're talking GABA. We're talking multivitamins, minerals, Amino acids. We're talking healthy, wholesome, motherfucking 2019. Let's start. Well, if you're gonna say uh, talk about all the ridiculous amount of supplements that are in our house, I think yeah. you need to talk about your adverse My little, all right, real reaction quick. to vitamin a little, C. A little fucking <laughs> prologue to our episode that we won't, we shan't come back to. Yeah. So I took vitamin C and niacin to start off my little detox, and I'm not sure what happened. Whether I had like a liver toxicity issue or like like serotonin syndrome or some shit. Like these are my th- prevailing theories. And like everyone I talked to was like, oh, you probably had niacin flush. I was like, really? I had diarrhea for fucking four days it was not and the niacin sweating flush. and fever. So like, no, that's not a niacin flush. I didn't know there was you, you assholes. <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah, something fucked up happened and I'm going to get blood work done, but who cares? It's all past. So I'm not going to find it. <laughs> with all of the experiments that Brian has been doing with like weird nootropics and whatnot yeah. from China... It was the vitamin C that did No, not in. the vitamin, the niacin. It was definitely the it's niacin. More, it's funnier to say vitamin C. Just vitamin let me C. have this. Okay, the yeah. vitamin C took him down. Can we sing the graduation song now or something? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember either. Okay, okay, anyway. All right, so yeah, this is it. <laughs> so this is our so, podcast, Steve. This is how we do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love nootropics. <laughs> Which ones do you use? Curious. So I was using qualia or something like that. It's I never never my, heard of that one. Yeah, oh, yeah I was I using it. It's it. got like bark tree liver in it. Bark li- trees have liver. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> well, it, had some, it was anyway. If you take vitamins, I would recommend taking nootropics for your brain. If you don't take vitamins, I wouldn't recommend it. Interesting. Why? Because there's, they use they use the vitamins. Right? Well, there's no there's an argue there's a I mean the science coming down on whether the, they work or not is mm. is more tends more to have a stronger placebo effect than actual results. So, but if you believe if you take vitamins and, and you you you're like down with them, go for it. See, that's the thing. If you if you if you're like you take it and you're not sure whether it's going to work or not. Mm-hmm. 
Save you forty seven ninety nine per month. Hey, Steve, our books or something. Buy, go buy four fucking books, right? Steve, I agree. Actually, they're more worth it. But uh, Steve, here's the thing: if you're taking the real nootropics, that's the case. But if you're taking drugs that are masquerading as nootropics, then they fucking work. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I was, I was. Which is more my bad. I, okay, yeah. So let's let's uh, start. Let's talk about your trajectory to starting SFK and like you know your book and everything. Let's, yeah, let's do that. We'll, okay. Even though we'll do a reading at the my end. fellow southerner. Yeah, man. Yeah. You yes. make my from Atlanta. You make my lilt come out. The second the second American capital for Jews. Is it? Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. New York is definitely the capital of the world, but like Atlanta's got a shit ton of Jews. Yeah. Really? I had no idea. So we published a book called American Judas last October, and it's a dystopian speculative fiction about America becoming a fundamental Christian theocracy. Oh, yeah. Which is, it's an interesting story in itself, but Mickey Dubrow, the author, grew up Jewish in, in Chattanooga, which is Ooh, Tennessee, Tennessee, which is yeah. not the second largest Definitely Jewish not. capital of anywhere. No. And and it's a whole different. He and he and I had a lot last, of conversations. They were the last throughout. bastion of the Confederacy. Or uh, something. <laughs> yeah, Lookout Mountain. But we had a whole lot of conversations over the over the process of making his book uh-huh. about it was what it was like to grow up in the South, where you know I don't know about UK, but we'd go in. I'd go into the gym, you know, for the school assembly. Right? Do they still have those anyway? Yeah. And the guy would sneak in a, you know. Faith in action, or some t- sort of Christian message, right? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's like, "That's not allowed." I mean, I went to Catholic school, so that shit okay. wasn't sneaking in anywhere. Yeah. It was blatant. Well, and I went to Episcopalian school, but I, it was a little gap when I couldn't kind of do either one. It's a whole other subject. So I went to public school. <laughs> well, I think I think the uh, city boy Jew is missing the taboo here. What's 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 the problem he's, here? He's saying in a, in a public school they were talking about uh, they're, God. They're, 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 they yeah, okay. the preaching. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so they were straight up, straight up, yeah. straight like up evangelizing. Okay. Got you know, it. Yeah. Got and, it. Okay. And, uh, I didn't. I didn't know if it was so, just some yeah. like subliminal Christian message. No, you were it's, about. it's yeah, nothing yeah. subliminal about it. So it's yeah. a whack in the head. Right. And right. Um, you know, so his his grandfather was actually like one of the first Jews in in Chattanooga. Mm. There's a whole. He you know, came over from Russia or Ukraine, I believe it was. Um, mm. But the neat thing about that that you know hearing that story is Mickey shared that in a bookstore one time uh, at a reading a conversation we Uh-oh. did, and it was no, it was great. It oh, was, it was, good. It it was, was that good. was. I didn't know if it was in Chattanooga or no. Now. It was in Amelia, <laughs> Florida. Story oh. song neighborhood book and beat show. Hey, Mark and Don, I hope you can hear this. <laughs> but it, it was so getting back to the trajectory of Southern Fried Karma and. and so we describe ourselves as a as a mission with a business, right? Mm-hmm. And that mission, to put succinctly, is to tell a million tales of y'all means all. So stories like Mickey need to to, to find an audience, mm-hmm. and so that's where that's where we started, and it came really from summer of 2015. I mm-hmm. was up here trying to land an agent because everybody has to have a new york city agent yeah right? new york yeah. city <laughs> yeah. i like the way you say that yeah. new york city I was agent. trying not to <laughs> overdo that one but nah, i didn't make it anyway uh, <laughs> and i started seeing the different possibilities to um to publishing the you know the just the, the way the publishing the path to publishing yeah. and finding that broader audience has really changed at the same time that happened, Dylan Roof goes into the church in North Charleston, oh, South yeah. Carolina, murders nine innocent people on a Wednesday night prayer service. Right. And I 
those two ideas, the business of publishing and the mission, galvanized at that moment. I said, I just re- can still feel it visceral in my body. Dylan Roos' face is everywhere on CNN or whatever. Uh-huh. And I said, fuck that. He's not going to become the face, the of, face of the South. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not going to allow it to happen. Yeah. So that was that that kind of moment kind of crystallized our, our, our vision, and we started Southern Tried Karma LLC shortly after that. And like uh, it was December 2015, and we we did a one book our first year. Hey, we got the same trajectory going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, and we did, uh, so the next year would have been after 2016. Is, no, we did that book, came out in 2017. In 2018, we did eight books. Uh, 2019, we're doing ten, and we're Ooh. we're setting the schedule now for 2020 and what and how, you know, what form of publishing really looks like now as a, as a you know small press, independent press. Personally, I I prefer, prefer the term fiercely independent press mm-hmm. or publisher. That's what we call scaling to all of our yeah. aspiring MBA. Yeah, so so it is. You know, it's a big a big you you you're you. That's in my way. I've, I've spent a lot of time in the past year figuring out what you can scale mm-hmm. in, in, in the publishing business and how you do. There's a model between what we'll call the the small press who does a very select number of really curated, beautifully artistic literary work, right? And that is either poetry, short, short, short collections, or nonfiction or fiction versus... What is this independent publisher who's you know who's like a I can throw like a Grey Wolf or a Melville House or what mm-hmm. Algonquin used Coffee to House, be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Source Books is one model. The Source Books started in her she started in her garage in 1987. Mm. She grew it to where she was doing 400 books a year. I can't believe that and these it, people did stuff before the internet. Yeah, yeah, before uh, yeah, yeah. Fucking a. And so Sourcebooks just sold out 45% of their business to Penguin Random House. Wow. So 45% of their business, what does that mean? They just in other have a words, stake? Yeah, they just, they just have a stake, yeah, so they're so still running it. They're, they're still, still running it, yeah. She's, but she's that fiercely independent. She's not, she wasn't going to sell out completely. Yeah. Or God, maybe, we, yeah. We, we're on an episode of Shark Tank right now. <laughs> You're ready. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Soon, well, soon people are going to get to hear about the Southern Fried Karma Business School. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Literary literary author entrepreneurship business I'm, school. I'm yeah. an autodidact. I'll fucking do it. I I, I <laughs> went to Maryland. I got into their business program, and I draw. I didn't <laughs> smoke too much weed to learn anything, so I dropped out I'm and switched to psychology. Shot. <laughs> fucking shot. I know you are, man. But yeah, but but yeah, that's an amazing origin story. Like you know, especially because, I mean, I don't know if it's your press or the sheer anonymity of shootings due to the. Do the sheer volume of yeah. them, but you know, it every little bit helps. You know, <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm sure it's the former, <laughs> but yeah. no, no. In all seriousness, though, I mean, like that's it does happen in a moment. There has to be a moment where it's like it feels like there was nothing there, right. and then all of a sudden you've made this decision, and it's like your whole life has changed in your mind. Yeah, in the matter of moments, you made crazy. a commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was your next step? You 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 saw that the shooting happened. We You're formed, like, so fuck we formed it. a company, yeah. so I took my, I took, uh, I needed a guinea pig, and I'm always the company guinea pig. So I took. Uh, we really did. We, we just ripped your model. We didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I pig, probably yeah. ripped somebody else's off too, because it's just, it's just really kind of somewhat common sense. Like, yeah, let's yeah, just sure. do it this way. Because you don't uh, fuck other people over. Yeah. Yeah. So I took, I did, I took my, I just completed my um, 
master's from Queen's University in Charlotte. So I took my master's thesis, renamed it. MFA or what? MFA, yeah. MFA, MFA, yeah. MFA in creative writing. Mm-hmm. And took my master's thesis, had it edited one more time. What did you do, hire a professional editor? Yeah, I found it uh, was interesting enough. I found a, I was reading Taylor Brown's book called Fallen Land. Mm-hmm. And then he threw a shout out to an editor uh, in, in in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I tracked the dude down. He gave me one final edit because the book had been, you know, you spend two years workshopping a book. It's pretty, it was it was close to being ready. We do yeah. one more little round and started like plugging it in the learning the hardcore production process and how to get a book out. And so began that. And then a great friend a writer's friend named George Weinstein got his rights back from his publisher mm. and will not name his publisher their deeds will speak for themselves mm-hmm. I, was and, about, I was about to call him a turncoat <laughs> well you know you, royalties owed should be royalties should paid. be paid yep yeah but like I said we'll be judged by our deeds no taxation without representation yes. yeah <laughs> so George had written George's president of the Atlanta Writers Club. He runs the Atlanta Writers Conference t- twice a year. Helped a lot of writers find agents, get to find a broader audience. Mm. He, re- he wrote four beautiful books, brought them to us. We republished those books for him. Then we ran a novel contest, found a couple, three other books from that novel contest. Mm-hmm. Also found Mickey DuRose's book and just began the process of putting the staff together. And, you know, coming up with the, the editorial process of, of taking somebody's manuscript and, and getting it ready for publication. Figured it out, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, so, well, yeah, I mean, one of the things that makes a lot of this possible, for better or worse, is money. And, you know, we have, we've, yep. you know, we've, we've got our co-founder, John, John Kay, who, you know, we're fortunate enough that he's totally behind us. He was the one who came up with this idea. He's the reason we're here. And Katie's the reason we're still here. <laughs> Our producer. I can believe that. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you've had a career before this one. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, what happened and what 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 allowed you to accumulate the necessary funds, you know, so to I have spent, you sitting up? I spent 25 years in the heavy equipment business selling bulldozers. I did it. I mean, I did bulldozers every way there was to do bulldozers. I sold pieces of them, parts of them. I uh-huh. sold them used. I sold them new. I worked for the manufacturer. I've so you're telling me that you also leaned on some construction sites for spare parts and really yeah, just yeah. mobbed yourself up. I mean, you're talking spare parts, you know. I was a ma- I, we, we were we were. Uh, my know, brother-in-law I, used to call Sanford something, but I was in a used tractor <laughs> used tractor parts business, man. It's like a used junkyard. Yeah, yeah. I did that. I was, you know, it took me to 24, 25, 26 countries doing that. I worked for the second largest manufacturer of heavy equipment in the world, Komatsu. Sold a lot of PC200 hydraulic excavators. Oh, act like I know what the fuck that uh, is. Yeah, yeah, you just go ahead. You, y'all call them scoops, okay? People around me call them scoops. Sure. I laugh at you. But anyway, so I had I, I had, I mastered that. I was good at it. I was a partner in a heavy equipment business, tractor equipment, based out of Birmingham, with some great friends that are still there. Uh-huh. I exited that business in 2012. Uh-huh. My father, type A, Worked since he was nine years old selling newspapers on the corner, right? Yeah. This is a uh, Warren Buffett type. He this is, guy's... yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Oh, he's the self-made yeah. kind of a guy that, yeah. that I mean, Warren America... Buffett, Warren Buffett started, I, I think, yeah. on a newspaper. Route, yeah, so I think, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people did. Yeah, um, <laughs> Back when people read the newspaper. 
and that's one one investment Warren Buffett will not make anymore is newspapers. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's a smart guy. My, so, and I'm sitting here with the newspaper behind me. But <laughs> I, I left them in 2012, and my father had the type A had he had dementia, and mm. so I had to go as much as I was reluctant to go back for a family business. I went back to help him. And what was it? what what did he? What he, did he was do? he was in the uh, real estate business. Okay. That's so usually, and he had been in the, he'd been in the heavy equipment business for a long time. But you can't have dementia and run a heavy equipment business. Yeah, you can't have dementia. Well, also, real business. estate I feel like is the retirement job of yeah. of the of the, yeah. of the successful. Yeah, you he, know? so he was. Yeah, my father had been doing. Once it. you start flipping houses and shit, that's I've done that. I've done yeah, that you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, the heavy equipment business and real estate ran in kind of parallel because uh-huh. would we would put branches like. In certain in other states and cities, and he would would buy did the real estate, so that's kind of he he had a knack for it. So I went and helped him and got him my own real estate investments. So I'm I'm that's why I call myself a real estate novelist, not to rip off Billy Joel, which is not, yeah, it's kind of okay. Yeah, fuck but, it. Um, he's a musician. <laughs> yeah, it just being this my father's son, who I just you know we're just deal makers. My my grandmother, who was from a small town in in Alabama. Actually went to school in at Columbia here in New York, which is mm-hmm. in, in the oh, wow. early twenties. Wow, was not a no. not a normal thing. Maybe and, she knew, maybe she knew gangy. <laughs> could, could be. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know I really need to go check on my grandmother's legacy. It, it, anyway, she walked, marched in suffrage parades. She yeah. went back and she had started her own newspaper, right? Yeah, and that's right. Around the time, what was it? Suffrage was what 1920, 1920s. Yeah, yeah. She, so she ran her own. My my grandfather was not the best in the guy in the world at holding jobs. So my grandmother supported the family, uh, and it taught taught them the entrepreneurial spirit and taught me the same thing. Wow, that's funny because uh, my grandfather. I don't know if you're grandfather was like lazy or something i don't know what the hell he, t- he tended to drink uh, he tended to drink okay yeah my grandfather was nothing like that he worked and he didn't drink or anything but he was an asshole so but yeah I, so my dad my dad came from that and he's a workaholic too so anyway yeah so you want to talk about your book a little bit well i think one thing we should shout out is how we met first of all because we we came you came to us, or we came to you. We but came together. We came together. Yeah, we yeah. were brought we into thought, this We thought, as we were discussing before, we had the thought, and then it became a reality. Yeah. Through our book designer, our our mutual book designer, Olivia Kroom, who's probably one of the best literary citizens out there and does incredible work. I you, mean, the, the cover, if you've seen the cover for Brian's book, it's it's. I've only amazing. seen it from across the, a darkly lit bar. Let's show. Yeah, let's get a let's get an audible reaction. Uh, this is gonna be great. Okay. It's gonna yeah. be fucking sheer excitement. I'm gonna sh- I it's know it's brilliant. Yeah. So he. I want I want the true reaction here. I want. Ready. God. <laughs> doing an. I'm literally doing an elevator pitch. Yes. Oh, it's coming up. Oh shit. <laughs> I love it. Wow. That's usually the reaction I get yeah, from people. It. Um, <laughs> so she she we were. Olivia's is uh, the artwork was done by uh, Sean. Sean That's that's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. but uh, that really I I came up with that idea like on the spot. Like I pulled it out of my ass, and then Sean just starts drawing it, and I'm like, "That's fucking it!" (laughs) Like that's um, the dude. The dude could be what do they call it? Those like like those sketch artists for police. mm -hmm. I don't know what they call it. I think they call them. Sketch artist. Sketch artist, yeah. What's really cool is that the breaks in the chapters in between, she took the joint from the front. Did she really? Yeah, little spliffs. There's little spliffs throughout. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's I would. So she also did the yeah. So we were. She did the whole interior, everything. Yeah. She. We found her. I forgot how, but she was one. She's been one of the biggest blessings that we've had. To do, that we've been fortunate to find. Yeah, and she's great to work with. She's mm. great. She, so everyone who's looking for... You, you know, know, it's one of those things you, you mentioned yeah. as a literary citizen, in order to make it as an independent whatever, mm-hmm. some of that's got to come from... You're not getting... It's not... It's certainly, you know, is added value. Mm-hmm. And Olivia is added value, not just in the quality of her designs. And I've had, you know, people go... Who does your book covers? They are fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it's the care that she puts in them. Yeah, and and the give and take back and forth, and are willing to 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 kind of bend with the process. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what she. So when we met with her about you know many many months ago when we were first starting and met with her about book designing, and we were talking about our goals and what we want to do with the press, she was like, you know who you need to talk to, Steve McCondishy from yeah. SFK, and we were like, what's SFK? And that's when I started stalking you a little bit uh-huh. and reached I out. I, I didn't feel stalked. And uh, yeah, and the second that we popped on the phone and I heard your accent come through, I was like, Katie was very excited. I thought she was going to leave me. I thought it was over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, also just, you know, to step back from all this, it's like, it's so valuable to partner with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, not so. And and, I think even if you're just a writer, not even a publisher. Yeah, but we've talked, we talked a lot about that side, about community. Mm -hmm. But also, I think people, especially in the arts community, are afraid to talk about the business side, which you're not, Steve, which I'm really glad about. It's like, you know, whether, whatever your feelings on capitalism are. Right. You know, fine. Like, you know, it has, has problems. I'm a fan. Yeah. It has problems. I I see it. I see it every day. But at the same time, this is the reality we live in. And, we we accumulate this money so we can get we can make things that are worthwhile to people you know mm-hmm. that's the whole point of this and that's so like this whole idea that you know i don't know i do think there's this this there's this idea that or or this or this dissonance that people that artists especially have in their head between you know gen- generating capital right and like all that entails and who's suffering because of that maybe you know i mean yeah but if you go down that line, we're all sinners in America. We're the we're part of the American Empire. It is what it is, you know. Yeah, man. But like, I really like your approach, and I think you know you jive with me and and John's like whole business minded aspect of this. Because if we don't have money and we can't make a lucrative business out of this, we can't give the resources to our writers. I mean, I mean, take it from me, like every penny that I'm making from my book is going to go right back into this business, you know? But yeah, so... You, you can't have a mission without the business. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I don't know. We're, we're, we've got a lot of ideas, but uh, just from your end, on SFK's end, like, you know, what has been most successful for you? And like, what have you discovered? Kind of putting you on the spot. I know there's Yeah, like, no, that's a good... That's every every day is a new it, thing it is starting a, a business. Is a, but. It is a good question because, you know, I'm there's the idea of... Hey, we're a small press, and we make you know these literary books, and we don't care if only you and your cat read them. Uh huh. Type of model. Yeah, which is fine. And then there's the other. Then, then there's yeah. the other fiercely yeah. independent model. And for me, I'm I'm at I'm at a point now where I'm having to. I can't. This may be not an equation that I can straight up solve, but it's a there's polarities that we can manage because there is the mission and there is the business. There mm-hmm. is a need to to put out some some something of a literary standard mm-hmm. but then there is right. also the the independent publisher who wants to find an audience mm-hmm. and for me we're in the process now of we're really kind of narrowing down our processes and our market and and how we operate as a business and and have that 
and have that mission because one of the things I've learned is that if we're going to tell a million tales of y'all means all, that means you've got to hear from both sides. And that, not not to hate. So yeah, synthesizing those two sides are definitely, it, it can be difficult, especially on like the, uh, I think it really culminates in the submission process. I mean, okay, that's pretty, that's kind of like, egocentric of me to say because I'm the one who reads all of our submissions but 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 seriously like when I read a book some there is sometimes in the back of my head I'm like man this probably could reach a wider audience than is the circumference of my liking for this book <laughs> you know what I mean like how much I like this book isn't totally equaling how big my eyes are getting in terms of like what this audience can reach does that ever happen to you constantly yeah yeah, yeah. it's you like a book Shit, the world will like it versus is that what you're is that yeah okay? basically i like it like i like this book right? right i like it yeah but i think the market will love this book okay you know what i mean yes and so like reconciling that can be difficult uh, i mean i haven't had to pull the trigger on any of that yet like i'm still kind of reading all these things and like the only thing we have on the books are books that you know we are the few books of people that we know or like you know recent acquisitions and stuff, people we've met. You know, yeah. but one of the common themes that I've heard editors and publishers voice over the years is, you know, they always get the question, right? How do you decide which books to publish? Right, yeah. And and maybe I'm just looking for the voices that confirm what I want to hear, but the overwhelming majority, I and mean, one of them that comes to mind is, is uh, Emily Bell, who, you know, she they got to have that, they got to love the project because they're going to be with it for a long time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you're going to take it from one stage to the next. Read it a lot of times. You're going to read it a lot of yeah. times. You're going to be with the author a lot. Mm -hmm. So you do. there has to be that. At the same time, there's got to be, from my standpoint, there's got to be what is the, where is the author and how do they me in, in measure success? Where, where do they want to? What's their metrics for success? So do you talk to them first? That's one of the first questions I've learned to ask authors over the years. Interesting. Is how do you, tell me how you measure success. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, I get a lot of different answers. One, one dear friend of mine who wrote a novel I really wanted. I'd read it in workshop and wanted it bad. Mm -hmm. And she's a, a, a nationally recognized book critic, right? And she'd written a novel. Mm -hmm. And for her, success was... A, you know, substantial New York Times book review. Mm -hmm. And I had to say, I'm probably not sure that I'm going to be capable of pulling that off for you. That's yeah. a kind of a stretch for what I, what I believe our capabilities were at the time. It's um, very, very far from a guarantee. Yeah. Quite the so I said, yeah. she went, she went somewhere else. Right. And then I had another author who said he's from the low country of South Carolina. He'd written a story about the Gullah Geechee people. His name is Rutledge Thomas. And Rutledge wanted to have, a book launch at Blue Bicycle Books in downtown Charleston on King Street. Mm -hmm. And that was his measure, a launch party. And he had a kick-ass launch party. He sold yeah. 151 copies of his book still to this day, an SFK record for one single event. Uh -huh. So, it, you know, that's for me. That in talking with the authors, how do you measure success? So we're, it's, it's a balance between the author and, you know, the work and what they want, what how they see success and what they're willing to do. And is there any connection between how they see success and how we see success? If it's, you know, I want to get two copies to give myself and my cat. I'm not sure that that is, allows us to accomplish what Might we need well to. Might as well self-publish. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And there's uh, nothing wrong with that. No, there's no, yeah. uh, there's, 
there's a lot to say about that space. And, and, you know, I tell people all the time, the average reader that buys your book at a bookstore or buys it at their favorite online retailer does not care how it got to them. Mm-hmm. They don't spend much time looking for the logo on the spine or they don't, mm-hmm. the, I mean, as, as publishers, I know you got, you look here, you look back here and we flip to the page, right? Mm-hmm. It tells us the metadata. That's what I do. But people that, that read books, avid readers who, who are after you, know, people that read mm-hmm. 14, 15, 16 plus books a, a year, they just, they just care about the story. And yeah. Does it, does, it take with- it, does it take them to the place that they want to get to, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's essentially how I viewed books until we started publishing them. Well, until we're <laughs> So what on- changed? Because I had to know. That's it. I mean, I had to look through that, okay. that yeah, data, you, yeah, and I yeah. had to see. I, yeah, I literally you, wrote you, that. You see, you see that copyright page. Like I literally wrote that myself. Yeah, yeah the first know. time you do one of those, yeah, you're like, yeah. ah. You also see what people are doing that you really like, and you're like, okay, like I, like I, yeah. uh, two dollar radio. They, yeah. I like the way they print their books. Yes, they do all their like books are echo beautiful, friendly, and everything. Unfortunately, it's not like a financially stable for a thing for us right Hopefully now in the future yeah. but yeah in, in yeah. the future it's a goal for ours so like now we're searching in the books like to see what other people do coffee house they put out great looking books uh-huh. yeah that you know that's interesting because in in that you you pointed out the aspirations of where we want to be mm-hmm. but at the same time you also mentioned the the reality is of mm-hmm. you know your source of funds varies mm-hmm. and with that source the requirements to perform also vary and yeah. and what and what you your criteria for your own success as a publisher varies right no i mean i mean to bring up a controversial example i mean like i read a book a couple of years ago about like what it means to be a great leader or you know it kind of like a book on statecraft you know and they talked about tons of people abraham lincoln was one of them and like you know people have these images of lincoln as like you know the, the bellwether of mm-hmm. emanci- emancipation and everything he was. He's the one who made it happen. But the things he had to do, people don't understand. He had to make deals with people that were shitheads, you know? Yeah, and politicians. The, so, yeah. yeah. So people that were against it, it, Even with his own party. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And so the thing is, like, we're not printing books right now that are totally eco-friendly. But the thing is, like, you have to make, you have to make concessions in order to get to the, to the, the greater good, you know? And, and it's like... We'll get there one day, but well, if we can't make money, we'll never print an eco-friendly book. You know, and that's just a metaphor you, for what, everything. Well, yeah, but you got also got to remember that a lot of the ways people are reading books these days are yeah. on the phones. Yeah, yeah e-books, on the, on the, which is and, why we're doing those too. Yeah, and yeah. listening to them, and which is the ultimate, them. which is the ultimate eco-friendly system, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, so, unless you, unless you unless you talk about digital, unless you talk waste. about the, uh, and and the and the uh, cobalt and the. In, in the African mines, but let's not go there right now. Yeah. That's what we're talking yeah. That's the shit that's that's the shit I'm talking about uh, when we're when we're talking about living in America when we're all sinners. But Yeah. From um, the stench of the ditty to the stench of the grave, man. It's born yeah. in sin and dies in corruption. Oh is that is that is that verse right there? Because you, you know you know, no, I know that's Robert Penn Warren. Okay. All the, all the King's Man. I mean yeah. I heard that in, in college and I'm like I'm I'm gonna run with that one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> the keeper. I got uh-huh. a question since we're talking about you know stability of presses and and whatnot and and doing different financial endeavors. So you have SFK Press and you have SFK multi multimedia. Yes. So what, we so yeah, we what ha- is that? So we have 
Southern Fried Karma is like the mothership. Mm-hmm. And that's when, if y'all had some P Funk, we'd play it right now, but we don't. We can plug it oh, in. Oh, I can yeah, play it. Yeah, plug, plug in some P Funk for me when oh, you do that. Man. Get some Nagget Brain. Some Nagget Brain. Hell yeah, man. I love it. So, so uh, we're the mothership. Okay. And from that, we have SFK Press. Mm hmm. We have our, our zine, literary zine, The New Southern Fugitives, which publishes short fiction, short essays, visual arts. Is right? that print or is that digital? It is digital. Okay. Eco-friendly digital. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it comes out twice a month. Oh, damn. Uh, That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and we pay. We, here's the weird. weird uh, we're talking about making money and it just shows how stupid I am at it. <laughs> we don't charge you to read your stuff. And if we, pay, if we print it, we'll pay you. We'll publish it. We'll pay you. Right? Which is not common. These days, how much does Speech? the zine cost? How much does it cost to run? To or like no, how nah, much for the to, to read? Yeah. Oh, to so if we publish a short story, you mean we we pay a hundred? No, no, I mean no, like, no, no. For people I, to people to want to people want to read it. Oh, it's free. It's, yeah, it's a whole inverse model. It's, oh, yeah. it's free. The zine is you can subscribe okay. to the new southern yeah. for for free. That, that's what okay. I assumed. I mean, because yeah. they usually usually even people that you know even the the new age editorials or whatever, you yeah. know, you can get an imprint, you know, <laughs> yeah. cost money or you can just sign up for free and you got the ads on the side. So that's, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys are doing any of that, but no, you know. but we will start next week. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a model we got from, from, uh, from brother Mark, right? So what are you selling advertisement on no, it or anything? No. no. So you're just, we're trying to, the new Southern Fugitives, which is named after the, the fugitive poets out of, out of uh-huh. uh, Nashville in the 1920s, right? Robert Penn Warren being the most famous called bullshit on the lost cause. Or agrarian, uh-huh. anti-industrialization. We have a similar voice to that. It's a very diverse work, but we're I'm doing it to to kind of, I kind of I'm doing it to build a community. Yeah. Yep. That was I, mean, I was about to say that's the that's, parallel to our uh, 3D yeah. series satellites that we're yeah. trying to build. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of um, it's kind of like we both have our our community pet projects. I mean, yeah. they're not pet projects. I actually like the foundation. I mean, they're the foundation of why yeah, we're, we're here. We're, you know, our foundation is community. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's got to be. And mm-hmm. and the, the neat thing about community is it is it raises everybody's performance as individuals. Mm-hmm. When there's a community, makes people together. care. Yeah. yeah, and and it's also it's the the literary community is one of the best places to have the conversations that this country needs to have. To yeah. not, we're not going to solve the problems, whether it's traffic or. You know, poverty. We're never going to solve them, mm-hmm. or, but we're going to. I love how them. you included traffic with poverty. I'm not even fucking kidding right now because when I drive on you, 495, oh, I when I drive meant on like four, trafficking, drug yeah. trafficking, are you in trafficking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, human trafficking. The, you're there, not that a, too. But you were not, talking about auto traffic, right? Yeah, I'm talking because about, when I'm, I'm on 495, the, 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 the pet <laughs> that people have, and and probably in in the first in the first world anyway, it's a mm-hmm. number. Is they get. More people lose their shit driving in traffic on the way to church, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what's one reason I quit going. I'm, I'd lost Jesus by the time I got there. <laughs> I had any chance. You get, you get if Moses, wife. If Moses parted the sea, he better fucking come down here. And part and the 95. Part, and part 495 around the beltway around D.C. Because that you, shit is over for me. I'm so, get, I will not drive. Between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., you will not find me on that we road. Just, we just... This blasphemy just lost us. Whatever religious <laughs> yeah. listeners. No, no, we were we no, were just if, talking beforehand. I got nothing against religion. If, look, I'm just if, saying. <laughs> if you can, if you can go, go in that, for me, getting four kids ready to go to the you know the ten o'clock Sunday school, mm-hmm. my shit was gone. Right? <laughs> I didn't. It didn't. It's just a struggle. But I it. No, but poverty's a problem too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the traffic. <laughs> anyway, that's a, those are those are examples of unsolvable problems, like a tangent. Yeah. So 
to have and you know to have a problem. The, one of the conversations that I'm the most curious about being a Southern is the old South versus the new South. Mm-hmm. We're not going to come up with the answer to to, ha- to solve that, but we can talk about each other's hopes, each other's fears, and we can try and build towards our mutual hopes and man and kind of be warned from or mindful of what kind of fears we need to avoid. Yeah. The, the mm-hmm. one of the things that that helped if my mission needed a kick in the ass. A year ago, the neo-Nazis held a rally a half a mile from my office and a half in between, basically in between my office and my house. Mm-hmm. They rented for 35 bucks the little Greenville Street Park, which is best known for where you get your prom pictures done, right? Mm-hmm. Damn, we got to uh, make these these permits more excess, like uh, cost it's, prohibitive, it's, man. This it's is like first member <laughs> right. You can't, you that, can't yeah. do it. So, I mean, raise the price. So yeah, but so it, and it was on the tail, you know, after Charlottesville, the community freaked out in two ways, you know, a, what's going to be the public safety response. And mm-hmm. they, they nailed out. I mean, we had, we had drones, we had copters in the air, mm. we had guys... This was after Charlottesville? Yeah, the, we yeah. had guys so with they, the riot gear, and they they had the, the park was literally fenced in. Yeah. And the neo-Nazis were late, right? So, that you know, <laughs> Bubba Bub didn't know. Hate how, yeah, it's back to that traffic thing again. <laughs> the, the, you know, the racist got... Well, see, so, now, look, man, maybe, they got, maybe they got the traffic's a blessing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a Buddhist positive. You know, I was just listening to NPR yesterday. They were doing, you know, because Tony Horwitz died... Do you know Tony? He wrote I, I con- saw where he Confederates passed. in the Attic. Yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. And yeah. he he was really involved with this kind of old South, New South, where like he felt that for him in places in the South, the Civil War was never over. The war's just taken a new face or dimension. A new, you know, a new yeah, dimension. Yeah, yeah, new yeah. dimension in the No, it's world. the same dimension. And, well, but <laughs> like it's not being fought on the battlefield; it's being fought in well, like the digital battlefield, yeah, yeah. or like people are yeah, like, you know, yeah. it's not an all-out war, mm-hmm. but it's it, it's not. Here's the here's the thing that the the Southerners don't get: mm-hmm. only one side is still fighting, mm-hmm. and the other side just looks at us like, damn, it is muggy buggy and bigoted in the south i mm-hmm. think i'll go to the dominican republic for my vacation right? yeah and also yeah. they just yeah they just think if you can push everyone that's bad to, or like you know fucked up or whatever bigoted whatever you call it to the far reaches of our society marginalized them, yeah. that's gonna work it's not no it's the same thing as like you know like i've been researching for my new book on on drugs addiction etc and like one of the prevailing theories that rings very true is that we have this idea that if you punish addicts they're going to stop taking drugs but no if you make their situations more unfortunate they're just going to fight harder to do the things that they were doing in the first place yeah. you know so yeah it doesn't they just threw up some barriers yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and so yeah i agree i mean i i think i think we in a lot of ways have just cloistered them into like their own little circles it's like these little terrorist cells and it's like yeah, they're so not going to communicate got, with us why we, would they we got the you know we on both sides, we got hate, right? Yeah. And then there's a in the South, especially there's a mass in the middle, who's watching the you know the prices right, you know at mm-hmm. night or whatever. And as long as the guy, the next guy that comes on down doesn't have a neck, you know, swastika on his neck, right? They're they're going to be okay with their lives, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But within that middle is also the literary community where mm-hmm. we can have these conversations. And, mm-hmm. and there's other communities out there that are places to do it. But I'm I'm 
plugged into the literary community. So I think that's where we need to, to have. Well, that's what we did an episode of the podcast. I think it's like episodes four and five where we were in Little Rock and talking wow. to people down there about starting artist communities. And we're, we're working on an, an artist salon in Little Rock right now, starting one. But the, the overwhelming feeling was one, I mean, people were like, why do you want me on a podcast? I'm not smart enough to be on a podcast. And we're like, what do you, what do you mean? We're like having a great conversation. And right the now. feeling was not just podcasts it's like you get you understand quickly that what they're saying is and they don't might not even realize it but is i'm not smart enough to do any of this stuff there's like an overwhelming feeling where these people are vastly intelligent like friends that i've grown up with they're super vastly intelligent but feel they're not qualified to have those conversations they're not qualified Mm. to be in this community and we're like no you're 100 qualified and that's what we're trying to 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 do is to empower people to feel qualified to have those conversations because that's the only way this shit is going to change. Yeah. But so let me ask you a question. Is that, is, are the conversations, do you, I, I, one, one part of me wants, you know, when I read things like the liberal or the liberal redneck manifesto, right? I've never, what is that? It's a book you can buy in the South. Nice. Uh, and it's about liberal, you know, yeah. Progressive, Southern. Self-explanatory. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, an Appalachian reckoning. In certain books that are coming out that are that seem to be to that space where you talk about where they're mm-hmm. we're really kind of having some conversations and there seems to be a movement to build not an old South or a new South, just a better South, right? Mm-hmm. But it's and there's always a part of me that just worries that I'm the glass ain't half full. The, the glass has probably got a crack in it. And I'm sure. You just you you bullshitter. You just sat here. Steve just sat here before we got on the podcast and said, and we asked him if he was a glass half full guy. He said, I'm a glass half full guy who, who knows the water truck's coming and who knows the guy who's driving the water truck. <laughs> but, but aren't we all? Uh, yeah. I mean, no, we so, are. So, it, if, so if you're a writer, we'll just, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm changing the subject here. I totally agree. There's a passion for the writing. There's got to be a discipline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that discipline is, is, is part of the business thing we talked about, right? So it's the same way with the mission. There's got to be, there is got to be that that man that I'm going to do this. We're going to mm-hmm. make this. Well, if you can't, but some days the struggle is fucking real, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what you just said is so true. If you can't change your mind, then I mean, that's the definition of problematic. Like, I mean, even going down to like mental health. Yeah, depression is defined by mental rigidity, you know, like an inability to stop thinking the way you're thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, but just to jump off that, I'm going to ask something that I've wanted to ask on this podcast to someone at some point. Steve seems like the right guy. Yeah, he does. He does. And especially because Steve sits up straight, leans back in chair. I know, I know I can, you know, we can tell Steve's not a Trump voter. No, (laughs) I can, we can all tell. However, I I I did not vote for the current president. You know, I, I've, I have family members who are, and I have conversations with them, whatever. I want to know how, like, we have this conversation you're talking about in the literary space. To me, it's not really as much of a conversation as I'd like, because I don't think we're having a conversation with the other side, especially here in New York. It's, it's a lot of it is if you are on that side, I don't even want to hear from you. Mm. And it's like, I want to see, I, 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 I mean, like, what happens if you found a book from someone and you found out that they were a Trump supporter? I mean, it's it's hard for me to reconcile in my head someone with literary merit who could vote for Trump. Like I do, I do find that hard to believe. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm, not I'm not saying that to necessarily slander Trump voters. Like I'm, I'm saying like 
the way you have to think in order to vote for that man is is kind of necessarily non-literary oriented. Like you kind of have to be a very kind of like. I think you'd have to be genre focused. Maybe. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, no, exactly. You know, maybe some you, sort of romance. Novels. Be, ro- <laughs> I mean, bodice rippers, not just romance. But it's bottom. Li- it's a lot of bottom rippers. line thinking. It's like you know what I mean. It's like yeah. It's A to B. You know. It's not the depth is not necessary. It's not. It doesn't help us, which is total bullshit. If we don't talk about the depth in our lives and what the fuck are we doing here we're not really addressing problems you don't think somebody could be vastly intelligent and just have a certain amount of dissonance between like i mean or an ability to compartmentalize intelligence doesn't necessarily yeah but you don't have to you don't have to be inherently liberal to be intelligent no no that's clear right you think someone could liberal whatever you call it non non non-trump you know you don't you anti-trump whatever you don't have to be intelligent to be that you like know. I'm trying to think of any... you just have to be you have to be self-minded mm. and to a certain extent, and I know this. I've talked to Trump voters. It's but, like you got you've got to think about yourself, whether it's yourself as an individual or whether it's yourself as an American, as an American state. You know what I mean? But it, it, it's the same way as I with my half full, half empty. I can I, I understand why they make that choice. I dis, uh, disagree. Disagree right. with. I mean, fundamentally, I totally agree on so many levels, right? Yeah, yeah. Not just from a personality policy, what it's doing to the fabric of this country. Vehemently disagree with it. Totally. Yeah. In this country, is their right to vote vote for them? Is their opinion? Could they be literary? Could the question is could they be literary citizens? And spon- I think I, Brian's I, question is: Would you publish them? Would that's I, would that, I publish I, them? Both, that's both of my questions. I don't know. That, that, that's I don't my. Know that's that, my. That, you know. I, so here's here's what I'm going to tell you. I dis, and this is a change in my mind here recently. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be y'all means all, mm-hmm. and I did want to get back to that exactly. It, what that it's, meant. If yeah. it's going to be y'all means all, all exactly, then I'm going to have to. And it's not. It's not. So it's not. It's not ones over here, and it's not somewhat rigidity. I have a guy that that I've been. I have become friends with, and he is a retired Baptist preacher and he writes fiction. He's written a series of Southern fiction and he and I have some, and we're doing a literary festival together in Moreland, Georgia in the fall. Mm-hmm. But cause Mike, his name is Mike Brown. Mike will have the conversations and Mike will listen. And Mike knows that both sides need to be heard. Mm-hmm. So he has the, the ingredients that's got to be there. Is an is a degree of open mindedness. Mm-hmm. Well, but so we're not talking about if somebody brings in a bigoted work because that's obviously not inclusive. Of course, of, but, of course, that's, that, yeah, that, yeah. I should have made I should have yeah, made that no, clear. I'm not, not not bigoted, but it's I've, like some because there are plenty of Trump voters out there that are not bigoted. You know, to a yeah. certain. You but know. if so, I, but, but, I, so what what I'm asking is what work would put the question up where you would have to challenge your own thinking and say y'all means all. So yeah, if, if they're if they're if they. Do not if they do not embrace the y'all means all, and they're so rigid that they only see mm. this is the way it's said in a book that was written twenty five hundred years ago that my grandmother and father gave, or grandmother my parents gave to me and told me to memorize and read and do mm-hmm. everything that was in it. If it doesn't fit that book, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. I ain't got no patience for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, not, I, and then patience yeah. maybe the no probably is a word. But is there? I, just, a, I don't. I don't. I don't. But is there a fear that it's going to come back to you at some point? How do you mean that? I've- like, even if this person is a sparkling woman or man, anything in between nine, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, so you know what I'm saying? Like, because if if you, I'm I'm serious. This is this is a yeah, hot button so issue for not, people. Like, so let me give you. I'm like, you get, could get thrown under the bus. I I'm going like, to give you know? the. I'm going to give you the flip side of it. 
all right, that, I, that struggle I've had. So I was fortunate enough to get a, a piece done in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and a great interview with uh, Suzanne von Otten, the, um, the, the, the writer. She, so we did a nice little interview, right, 45 minutes, whatever, and she was doing, getting ready to do the piece, and she, she comes back to me and says, I got a follow-up question. She said, I went on your website, sfkpress.com, and to sum up her, her words was, wow, Everyone's you're white. awful white. <laughs> and I said, you I know it. what? I, I know that. Yeah. I understand that. Do you mean your authors? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And probably everyone involved. I mean, because, you know, and if I just came from the network, book, I just you know? came from the book expo. It's kind of white down there, too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Sure. So the literary world is very white. That's the thing. And, you know, this is why I bring this up, because yeah. it does seem like there's a lot of hypocrisy within our own world in the sense that I don't see representation from another political attitude. Not that that's necessary to like it, literature, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's it's like at one time we want to bring everyone together but let's like even the panels i went to at awp it's like still like you know i'm i'm jewish but i am the least pro israel jew you'll ever find i mean i have discussions with my family all the time because i think being pro something means you're anti something else right. and so what's the fucking point yeah the whole problem is choosing sides yep and so yeah i mean i, I go to panels and like i went to a great panel on palestine excellent readings great intelligent people and a lot of things said but it's amazing, and and nothing, not I can't take anything away from them because like their anger is so real and everything. Mm -hmm. Like it's it all was genuine to me. But you know, it's like where do we draw the line and say like how do we stop this? Like I mean, <laughs> bringing Palestine up is like probably the worst way to enter this conversation. That's probably even more difficult than you know liberal yeah. versus conservative or whatever you want to call it. But you know. At yeah. some point, the violence has to stop, right? Like, right. And, and a conversation has to start, or well, so else wait, it's just, wanna, we, we're, in, we're in a cycle. I want to loop back to what you were saying. She said, you're very white. Are you, what was, so your response was like, yes, and then yeah, what? You, yeah, you nailed me. Because uh, mm -hmm. we had become, you know, we had signed after our novel contest. We looked at what, you know, the authors, and we had to be very, like, purposeful. Mm-hmm. And the books were selected and continue to mm -hmm. select for SFK Press. And, you know, we, we, that's one reason why we go out to a, AWP. Mm -hmm. That's one of the beautiful things about the new Southern Fugis. It, is, it, is, it has a diversity within it that we don't have at the press yet. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we're getting that voice out there. Mm -hmm. But we have to reach out to, to you know, to... Well, historically our, black MFA programs in, in around the South. That's and, what we've, and, yeah, and, yeah, we've yeah, been we, trying to, we've yeah, been trying to look at that too. We yeah. had Jennifer Baker on mm -hmm. the podcast a couple episodes ago. She is an editor and, and she works in the publishing world here and she runs the podcast Minorities in Publishing. And that was a great podcast. Yeah. One of the really good points she brought up is, okay, yeah, you want to make your author lineup diverse who, who are your gatekeepers that are bringing in these? So you're hiring these new people. Are you looking specifically to bring on POC editors? I'm right now we're bringing on people that are, that are very much intent on finding those. Mm -hmm. And that, and if you go to our, in fact, if you go to our website for the contest, it, it big, big, the biggest letter on there. We are looking for mm -hmm. these type of authors. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's such a challenge because for so many reasons. And one of the first one is, I mean, right off the bat, the submissions we get, I'm like, yeah, these are 99% white people. And so yeah. I, the, what I get is, so it's not a matter of, of, it's a matter of like, so if I only get 
so few POCs or whatever. Like, you know, we, we, we're looking for women authors. Yeah, we're looking for yeah. anyone, you know. We want to be as diverse as possible. But the thing is, hell no, we're not going to sacrifice quality. And so what we need to do is find a greater volume of those submissions. Yes. Because that's what it's all about. It's like, and it is more of a challenge because that's the fact. Minorities in publishing is... is the, the key word is minority, less. There are less of those people. And yep. so we have to dig deeper. And, and it's a big challenge because you can't give up, you can't sacrifice the quality. And so it's just, you have to shoulder that burden. That's what that podcast was about. It was really about how do we shoulder that burden because it really is all of our jobs because, I mean, we all put ourselves in this position, you know? But I think that's why, for us at least, why we're not blasting out to the world that we're taking submissions. Yeah, we're saying it on the podcast, but we have we have cultivated, you know, our podcast is kind of like our community. We have a, a, you know, it's not just like Twitter where it's out to the whole world. It, this is a niche group of people who really like us and our message and what we have to talk about. And so it's a community we're building. And so we're really digging deep into those communities to one, bring more people in and to find those people. Like we're going out to readings, hearing mm. people and, you know. And that's the thing people should know. It's, it's yeah. hard. It is hard work. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and that's why I'll, I'll say it right now. I mean, me and Kate, uh, me and Katie have had Katie and I have had <laughs> copious discussions on this because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm trying to constantly rein us back into like, all right, we got to get a good book, you mm -hmm. know? And Katie's constantly going, yeah, but you know, we, we got it. We got to get a book from someone else. So like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know but what when I mean? you, so when you, here's the challenge when you, when you start stacking those, okay, I got to get it. It's got to be the book's got to be there. Yeah. And the author's got to, for us, the author's got to have some entrepreneurial sales skills. Right. Right. Oh, and we, we're looking for those diverse voices. All that shit that happens to, you know, and, and the first things you talked about are about individuals. They're not yeah. about skin color. They're not yeah. about demographics. They're not about anything. It's about quality, you know? And so all of that has to be there. And then you go, okay, yeah. Like, yeah. then we, then we say like, where can we find this talent, you know? And it is a huge challenge. I mean, even talking about this, I feel like I, I sound so aimless and like abstract but it's it is really hard yeah, but for that's us. really that's really the nature of the fun too for yeah. yeah no it is it is but and it's but and, and on my end it's been frustrating because like i want to get another book under our belt you know and and we have annie like she's working on a book for us and you know her book is a series of essays about you know coming out essentially mm -hmm. realizing she was gay and then you know mm. etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's great you know that's a great that that that's that is an element of diversity but then it's like, okay, well, she's a white woman, you know, mm. <laughs> and it's like, what's the next, you know, and it, it's, it, we don't want to stop there. You know, it's just, it's constantly, it's a constant, it's a mm -hmm. constant effort. That's, I don't, it, we're never going to completely figure it out. But, you know? but at least you're, you're, you're working on the trajectory, right? Yeah, you're, exactly. That's what you're the going process. for. You're going for, right? Yeah. That's all I, I know. It's, this your, is it's your intention, right? Well, We've been recording for about an hour, so I think we should turn the spotlight back to you, Steve, and and hear some of your words. Yeah, let's do it. How let's do you feel a, about that? Let's do a little reading. I'm, I'm. <laughs> oh, I don't have to read on my phone, do I? No. No, you don't. Oh, that's right. I got the book right here. Yeah. Yep. Damn that's it, boy. Right. Wake up! It's Thursday afternoon on <laughs> West somewhere Street, One Forty Seventh. Come find us. <laughs> Try not to say that. <laughs> yeah okay so i'm gonna just read a few this is you know it's you talking about pivoting mm -hmm. as much as i've talked about the author entrepreneur mm -hmm. and how important that is it's it's a skill i've had to learn my myself mm -hmm. i'm comfortable if you want to talk about you know buying why the pc 200 lc-8 is the 
most valuable excavator on the earth, uh -huh. right? Or things like that. But doing it with your own work, that's, mm -hmm. that's really getting out there. I see you on social media. You're yeah. building it up. Yeah. So, anyway, so the latest novel I, I just released in March was I started writing it, think it was going to be one book in three parts, mm -hmm. and I did. I got in about fifty thousand words in the first part. And said, "Whoa!" So I'm going for a kind of a historical fiction, Patrick Melrose kind of connected mm -hmm. three s smaller novels. It's called The Parlor Girl's Guide. Is the first one, and it's uh, I describe it as. Scarlet O'Hara meets the girl with the dragon tattoos. I'm really interested in, in Southern womanhood because mm. I mentioned my grandmother, so I know that it's it's different, right? The grandmother who went to Columbia. The grandmother yeah. went to Columbia who ran her own newspaper for a number of years, right? I like that little Runs into family. Yeah, so she, I uh, <laughs> just thought about that right a second. Anyway, so that's where the story is set in 1926 in a little town in Scott Station, Alabama, which is where my grandparents had met and had it's a little it's a town that's no longer there. It's, mm -hmm. That's how small it was. Mm -hmm. It's in the in south of Montgomery, uh, in rural farming community, like they got in Arkansas, right? Mm -hmm. So I started this young girl there, 16 years old, and I'm gonna take her on a journey. Awesome. So it starts with her. She finds these two guides, um, but I'm gonna just read the first few pages Great. where we kind of get to meet. Uh, Let's do it. Meet book designed by Olivia Croom. Yeah, and yeah, that is actually. I'm actually kind of jealous of that cover. I love my cover, yeah, but that's a that cover, cover, yeah. I, yeah, I wish did. we could show it to our to our audience. And right it was now. laid. But look up. it up. You can look at sfkpress.com. Exactly. All the books <laughs> are um, arrayed orderly. Yes. In an orderly fashion. And it was this was uh, the <laughs> interior was laid out by April Ford, our associate publisher. It's a beautiful looking. They both did a great job. April Ford, who will be reading soon. Really, that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. She's she she's great. She doesn't. I tell her this all the time. You're a badass. Yeah, her poem, her poem. Uh, I, yeah, I'll just say for our audience out there, we did a, well, you guys, you yeah. guys had your own little party. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it was actually pretty big, but uh, open bar. God, I got fucked up. I was the last reader and I was, I got, I don't even remember what the hell happened, but people were laughing when I read. Yeah. So I hope I read a funny part. It was but, funny. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, she read, she read a poem about, uh, uh about hygiene, about how, yeah, that's somewhat of a euphemism. It was fucking killer. And she was bold enough to say, I'm not a poet. And she just killed it. Yeah. Anyway. So April Ford laid out the interior. She's also served as one awesome. of the editors on this book. So tip of the Canadian hat to April. We're going to start in with uh, Thanksgiving 1926, Scott Station, Alabama. Molly Lingo awoke from her angel nightmare to the sound of her father singing, Jesus loves me, her favorite church hymn. Heaven's gates, he's going to open wide, he croaked, shaking her shoulder. He jerked down the threadbare blankets covering the family's front room. The late autumn dawn bled into the room. We will wash away my sin and let his sleepy-headed children come on in. Molly felt cold dampness on her back. The foul odor of her little brother's urine, like soggy hay, made the first inkling of sunlight seem harsher. The smell nudged her away from her stubborn dream. Don't expect Stanley will ever learn to use the chamber pot or piss off the front porch like his pap. Her father folded the blankets into wadded squares and stacked them in, in, in the wash tub. Stifling a yawn, Molly knew she needed to get out of bed and strip off her gown. But what she really wanted to do was slap her mother right across her floozy face. Tell her she was a no-account child for having an ill-begotten baby, thus obligating Molly to, sh to share her palate and take care of him. Molly knew that folks in Scotch Station looked at her with pity and shame whenever they saw her toting Stanley on her hip. 
assuming that she was as loose as her mother and raising some Peckerwood's bastard child with Almay Lingo as her mother. No one would ever believe that she was a virgin. Baby brother will crawl in with his mama, her father said, if she'll let him. Molly bent over and kissed Stanley's plump cheek. She never had the heart to push her three-year-old brother off their contorted cotton mattress onto the grungy plunk floor, which stood only a few feet above the palmetto bugs and spiders that lurked underneath their shack. A grandson of a genuine Johnny Reb ought not to be hunting a Thanksgiving turkey, he said, with a low, high-low pitch of joy and dread. Damn carpetbagger holiday. You remember what Mr. Hinton said about hunting on his land? Molly coerced her feet onto the floor. Zachary Hinton can kiss my narrow behind, her father trudged in the kitchen. As Molly rinsed her face in the leftover water in the basin bowl, last night's dream shoved its way back into her thinking. The three angels always appeared in her father's off-kilter plots, like remnants of cloth blown together by the breeze. Shining like ruffled emeralds, the dark green tobacco leaves were broad and waxy. The field was next to the peeling schoolhouse, withered vine clings to the clapboards and tucked between the town folks church and the red brick grocery store. The angels stood tall and wide, towering over her father in their white linen suits, their faces clean shaven and pale as china clay, making their rosy cheeks glow unlike the tan, scraggly look of her father. As she pulled off her soiled nightgown, she recalled one of the angels clutching her wrist. His soft hands were coarse against her skin, and she smiled at him with, his, with her eyes fixed on his heart. The cold and the vision quickened her change into the long john's flannel shirt and dungarees she'd laid out for their hunt. Her father, clanging on the coffee pots, pulled her thoughts back to the duties of the morning. She tucked her dark brown ponytail under a bandana wrapped around her head and pulled one of her father's tattered felt hats over her top. From across a wooded field, Hinton's overseers would believe a dad and his son were going on a hunt. Although the field boss had come around to check on Alma May, and the baby four or five days after Stanley had been born, worrying that her father had ventured off on a bender the night after the midwife had left, leaving the lingo plot unattended at the peak days for planting cottonseed. Still, her hunting outfit might fool him good enough until her father could snag a holiday turkey. Her father's spite for Thanksgiving, like his first name, Skillet, came from his grandmother. After both his parents drowned crossing the Etowah River during a flood, her father came to his grandparents with only two possessions, a brass locket with a rhinestone quarter moon on it and a cast iron skillet. Great-grandpa Lingo had lost his right arm at the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain, and Molly had heard her great-granny Lingo's opinion of Thanksgiving, carpetbaggers, and John Wilkes Booth before. The Lingo family cherished their feuds. Molly sat down for a small breakfast of thick coffee and her father's weak-old buttermilk biscuits, noticing her dried-up golden-white edges. She stretched like a barn cat, arching from side to side. Molly believed her father had decided to ignore Lingo family tradition and Zachary Hinton's warning not to trespass on his turpentine plantation again, not because he felt blessed to be a hand-to-mouth tenant farmer and a clumsy thief, but because her father was afraid of Alma May. She was mean. Her mother wasn't awake, but she'd made it clear the night before that she wanted the whitest rump turkey in the county to put on her table not any slimy squirrel meat or bony quail breast that they would have hunted on their own tenant farm. Some of her father's fear of Alma May had to do with her size. He was a slight man, shorter than Molly, and Alma May was a full-figured woman with a muscular arm from hand-washing loads and pails of loads and loads of clothes all over Perry County. 
but most of his tre- trepidation was because he tended to have a mild disposition. He'd only ever threaten to beat the children or the mules. Lacing up her black, black, black work boots, Molly tasted the backlash of her father's coffee. She walked out, out the shack's back door, slamming it behind her. Don't be so god-awful loud as to wake legions of demons, he said. Molly, led the, Molly took the lead to Stonewall, their swayback mule. You're cut from the same bolt of fine cloth, that's for certain. So that's our introduction to, uh, to Molly and her father and their journey turkey hunting, which leads to an unfortunate encounter with Zach Hinton, which it, it, in part of the this, this story... I got a minute to kind of talk about what yeah, I, some yeah, of the sure. things I'm trying to flush out in it. Yeah, is, I had, a, I had a, uh, one question, but yeah, yeah, go is ahead. The, uh, is the first part there is, is has to do with the whole ec- economic land equality in the South. Mm-hmm. There was uh, James Agee, the f- famous author of Before I Dying, probably not as famous as it looks like he's famous. <laughs> he and a, he was a, worked with a photojournalist and went through places like Arkansas and Alabama in the 1920s and 30s. And that book was just published in like 2004. 12, yeah, uh, about tenant farmers. So I'm really trying to. I'm. It's, it's a subject that really interests my grandfather. Worked on a turpentine plantation in that area. Huh. So that whole economic thing was was where you know Hinton. There was in each county, in the South, you know, there was a, a core group of white patriarch that controlled everything, right? And they did everything they could to squelch any type of dissension you know white black whoever right Mm -hmm. so that's one of i'm trying to illustrate what it really took to escape that and what you had to what an individual would had to a certain to agree to to some point till they said enough's enough i'm going to break away and molly gets to that point later on where she breaks away awesome yeah i really want to read this she got she has the help of a couple of guides so that's the parlor girls guide one of my questions is i'm the northerner over here is like kind of like wow there's a very musical and fresh quality to the prose. Like it's very like Southernly idiomatic and all that stuff. Do you get that reaction from Southerners or is that like par for the course? Is it like, Oh, we all know the parlance, you know, there's a certain amount of everybody under that's, that's a Southern writing style. And I'm, 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 so it's not as impressive to them or something. (laughs) Cause to me, it's like, wow, this is a, this is another dialect. So we, and it, and it, 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 it is, you know, one of the things that I was, I'm really concerned with in this, in this, uh, in in writing that way, mm-hmm. is a critique I got when the in my first, that actually when I wrote that, submitted this chapter to a workshop like five years ago, which mm-hmm. that was awful. He hosh. <laughs> but is that? But that's not he-hosh. a criticism. That's a well, yeah. That's oh, an, yeah. That's an observation. <laughs> but that's an observation. You don't observation. want to be he You don't want to be. And so I, it, there is a there. So but that the, okay. But, I see, the, I see. but there is that there is. But there is to the beach to. Especially early on, when you're trying to get people in the story, mm. you, I maybe I'd say lay it on a bit thick, but you know, which I can do with my accent, give or take, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so but, I take, but, you, but there is, but there is a matter because you're trying to transport people to not just the South, but the rural South in 1926 in this particular place right. where where that's the way they still talk. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's not it's not hee hosh. It's just. Which is how we sound, right? That's what I'm saying. Saying he hawish is like I to me what I'm hearing now what, from your guys' reaction is that it's that's not inherently a problem. It's that maybe you, it was inorganic. It was like yeah. too much. You right. were you were yeah. really pushing it. Okay, yeah. so you had to you had to 
Okay. I yeah, get, and, I get, and yeah. but so one of the editors I, I I worked with towards the end is on a copy edit was was trying you know it's different different generation younger generation lives in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate LeBron, great editor. Mm-hmm. She and I exchanging what part worked. Like this is how they sound on and. It, so the the dialogue, I, I'm okay with being like I didn't understand what that guy just said. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you remember the first time you had to read Mark Twain in school, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like this is a different language. So the dialect in the in the in the in the dialogue is I'm good with. It's it's in it's in the exposition that I was really trying to watch. Yeah, yeah. And because yeah, you know, you're if you're doing a novel, we all know one of the the things you have to avoid is everybody sounds the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's getting everybody to have a di- distinct voice. So, you know, Molly has to have her kind of come from this particular space right now. Skillet, her father, comes from a different space. And we meet Zach Hinton. He comes from, like, I basically could say whatever I want. Like, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm at my own table. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the whole county, you're on my land. You're at my table, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the things I, that I didn't, you know, I just, write, I just wrote this character that I'm really interested in. So it goes back to, I mentioned this is a third book. I, I it, What I envision is, and y'all got them here all over. I just noticed that. But mm-hmm. they're up two or three floors. In the south, the, psych, the psychics are on the side of the road, right? Mm-hmm. We got one on 151st. Okay. A tarot card reader. Yeah, but you got them on, they're up in the windows. I see them, right? They're mm-hmm. like two or three flights up. I wonder, you know, how does somebody become a roadside psychic? Mm. So I had this vision of this woman in 1954 who lives on a farm with two men and is, is a psychic, right? She sells vegetables and she gives readings. Uh-huh. And then I, so I back, and that's, that woman becomes Molly. She don't die, right? Uh-huh. Unless it's like, you know, Game of Thrones or, is how did she start, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, in this first novel is how she finds her way out of the South, out of Scott Station. And how does she find this, this her own voice, which she connects to this vision that she has in this dream which she thinks is a spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Which I don't know whether it is or not. I mean, I, <laughs> you don't, you don't. Let's just I, leave it at that. <laughs> I, I, but that's part of the fun of the book. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and this is a Katie Rainey book, right? Mm-hmm. And it, so it, 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 I had to rewrite yeah. the ending. It was the last thing I did was rewrite the ending again. And hmm. and it, I, you know, it, and in the process, you like kind of have the book finished when you're like, mm-hmm. it's gonna go out next week. But I found that space really where it, it can be in between whether she's yep. this other ethereal guy that she believes is her dead grandmother is, we're back to grandmothers again, is, is you know, is, is speaking to her from beyond the grave mm. or whether it's just PTSD, mm. right? And some sort of coping mechanism she's got. I don't know. I love it. Yeah, Wild. I love it. I'm gonna it. before we close, I'm gonna throw a little anecdote because you, you talked about editing down like the, the the dialect or you know, whatever. Our my developmental editor, George, George Sawai, he's been on the podcast a few mm. times. He's a he's an original rabbit, O R as we say. He read one section that was heavily idiomatic and kind of like the, the the southern parlance was there and it was down in the bayou and he was helping me work with it because like some of it was like, Oh no, this is more like Alabama and there's like you know, some shit like that. But then he got to this one dialogue part, and he was like, "He's like, man, like, what the fuck is this? You, you, you make us sound like Southerners sound like idiots. Like, what is this?" He hush. And, and, and no, it wasn't even that. He was like, 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 whatever, like, unintelligent, you okay. know. And then I was like, I was like, George, they're deaf. 
like they're they're speaking they're speaking in like you know the pigeon like you know because they're sign, yeah. sign language is their first language you know uh, and he just like smacks his forehead he's like oh and he, I was like yeah don't worry I'm gonna strengthen that little detail there for you yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny yeah because I mean like you know just to enlighten people if they if they haven't heard the third episode d- deaf folks have all types of dialects I mean there are people that were re- really? my mom was raised to speak first she didn't know sign language until she went to college. And, you know, she's fully deaf. She's more deaf than my dad is, you know? And then, you know, hey, you have my dad who, you know, was ASL first. And, like, you can hear it in his grammar and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so when, wow. I, when I translate that onto the page, he's, like, going, this is what you think Southern people talk like? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was really funny. But uh, anyway, yeah. Buy the book, people. Sounds awesome. Buy all the books. Buy all the books. Yeah, just, yeah you got to read a lot of fucking. Books. Don't get your well, new tropics. Save your forty-seven, seven bucks and buy, buy the books. Get, yeah. You could get, yeah. <laughs> well, also, just you know, I'm gonna start shouting this from the rooftops. But if you want great literature to continue, you have to you have to buy books and support. That is the social support. contract, yeah. isn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. If yeah. we want to live in a in a world where that the the mind matters and yeah. thoughts matter and words matter, mm-hmm. and we can come up with these imagined realities together, mm-hmm. shit. Stop! Stop spending money. Civilization on, you know. is built off our imagination. Yeah. So do yoga at, at the house. I don't know. Do yoga at the house, right? <laughs> Turn on the heat. Don't get your nails done only for special occasions. There Buy you. a book oh, instead. Wow. <laughs> All right, we good. We're good. We're good. Okay, Thanks, I'm, I'm, Steve, for being on the podcast. Yeah, no, I appreciate y'all having it's been me. Wonderful. Of course. This, this is, we'll do it again because you know this what? Is cool. Next time you're in New York, I want to talk about this rewiring the brain and your. your We're also going to be doing into, some in, in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah we got to cool. do it again. We got to do it again. Yeah, man, that was fun. All right, I'll uh, I'll close it out now. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Animal Riot Press or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 24th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Steve McCondishy. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Belly.